We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Pulse through their industry. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing. The league presents Electric People. What's up, league? I'm excited for the episode this week. Um, we got to sit down with legendary pro skateboarder Tony Hawk and get some tips and information and kind of the, the story from the horse's mouth. This guy is the Michael Jordan of skateboarding. Like, he is the epitome. Everyone that skateboards knows, who's, knows who Tony Hawk is, right? I mean, he's like the guy. It's kind of hard in conversation because he's like so approachable, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're sitting in his backyard as he's like skating around and hanging out, but it, it's kind of hard to remember that, man, he literally is responsible for what skateboarding is now. Yeah, what I was most interested before we got here I kept thinking to myself like what is this guy's house gonna be like yeah. like I just wonder like is there gonna be a big ramp in the backyard like what's it gonna be like and then we get here and it kind of exceeded expectations like you know if you went to a pro basketball player's house you'd think oh it'd probably have a hoop somewhere yeah. and then I just kept thinking like I wonder what Tony Hawk's house would be like and he's got like the most insane skateboarding pool next to his real pool that you've ever seen right yeah and it's just like ridiculous well, and it's cool to see, too. I mean, he's got a 22-kilowatt system on his house. I mean, his house has been powered by Vivint Solar for two years. Yep. You know, it's kind of become a part of his lifestyle and stuff, but just how approachable he was. The other thing that, that I was probably most impressed with, and I had hoped that he would go into it, is just the life lessons learned from being a pioneer. Like, you have to remember that when Tony was coming up, there wasn't a Tony Hawk to look up to. There wasn't a really a pro skateboarding industry. It was all his this might work and this could be something. Yeah, there was no there was no template for skateboarding success, right? And what was cool is he's not afraid to be vulnerable and like share his failures with us, which I thought was really kind of cool to hear because um, he just became so relatable. And, and as we were sitting here interviewing him, he just feels like a normal guy, right? And then all of a sudden you have these moments when you're, when you're sitting here next to him, you're like, wait a minute, like this guy is legendary in his sport, yet you think you're talking to like your neighbor, just like running into a mountain, cutting the lawn out. Totally, yeah. And well, I thought it was cool how many correlations there are between, um, you know, the life that he's experienced and the life that our guys experience. I mean, you know, he talks in there about how skateboarding is mostly an individual sport, but he's thrived in teams. And the way he runs his business now, he tries to assemble the right team. And I mean, obviously, when you hear something like that, you think that's just like what the guys do because they're out there performing on their own but so much of their success is the team and the culture and how they surround themselves yeah tony i think our our sales force our leadership i mean everyone's going to be able to relate to something that he talks about and uh i'm excited for everyone to hear it with that let's jump into the first episode with tony hawk Okay, what's up, League? Uh, we have a special episode of the League podcast today. We are sitting here with none other than Tony Hawk. What's up, Tony? Hello, hello. Hi. Thanks, thanks for, for being me. here with us, man. Sure. This is awesome. Thank you. We've been trying to get this uh, together with you for a long time, so appreciate you making the time. So, no worries. For people that don't know anything about anything, uh, Tony Hawk is one of the most popular skaters in the world, kind of the godfather of skateboarding. Um, one of the top skateboarders in the world by the time he was 16 years old. Um, had a 17-year professional skating career, won more than 70 skateboarding contests in that time, Uh, started Birdhouse Skateboards. Um, You have a successful line of video games, skateboard videos, own and operate the Tony Hawk Foundation. Uh, You've done a lot, man. (laughs) I'm tired. Yeah, you've earned earned a bit of a rest, so... (laughs) 
Well, that's awesome, man. You have a you have a pretty full um, highlight reel there. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. Skateboarding is not a traditional sport, so to say you're no longer professional or you're retired doesn't really make sense in in the context that you can still be a professional skateboarder. You don't have to compete. Mm -hmm. You can go do exhibitions. You can do other types of, of events or even just get coverage, shoot videos, and your title could still be professional skateboarder. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a weird, I guess that's a weird um, uh, stigma that people have put on me where it's, he's retired. It was You're like, not competing anymore I'm, or something like that. I'm right? going to go skate right after this. Yeah. I don't know if that's <laughs> retiring. You know, I'd, I'd, there's, no, there's no league. There's no um, standings that... that dictate if you're a pro or not. Yeah, that's one of the things that has been impressive. I mean, we do direct sales and a lot of our guys got into this, uh, probably similar to skateboarding, thinking they'd do it for a handful of years and it's turned into a full career with all these opportunities and stuff like that. But one of the things that's impressed me is how active you are in the skateboard community. It's still your entire life, right? Uh, it is, yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoy watching skating grow in terms of awareness and popularity and and the international aspect of it now is is a total surprise uh you know skating will be in the olympics in, in tokyo in 2020 and, isn't that and amazing that's so cool it's crazy to think of but but the, i think for me the more exciting part is that that means that it will have this global recognition that we've never had before and that that people will be coming from all different most unlikely places to want to skate mm -hmm. Do you think that that's a big opportunity for your foundation too? Because your foundation puts skate parks in places where kids don't have places to skate, right? I think, uh, yeah, I think our mission, um, maybe not necessarily just the foundation itself, because right now we only can do parks in the U.S. We don't have the infrastructure oh, okay. or the support to do things internationally. We do have an outreach program through Skatistan, so we support their projects. But in terms on on a bigger scale, I feel like we can at least give them the the template for how to get skate parks going if if they are going to get funding from whoever you know it could be ioc it could be other places if they're gonna get funding in those countries we can give them the map on how to actually get a skate park going yeah and we'll get into the foundation um, in a second because one of the things that interests us the most about the foundation is the people the random people we were talking about earlier that you've brought mm -hmm. together that believe in the cause but um let's go through kind of a history of of tony hawk so you're born in san diego yes okay and uh what were you like as a kid? Were you high energy kid? Were you uh, traditional High energy sports? would be like, yeah, that that'd be a gracious term. That's for an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, both have kids too, so I know what high energy actually means. Yeah, right? I was I was always very whatever. In my day, they called it hyperactive. I'm sure there's other clinical terms for it now, but um, but I was always wanting to. I think I was always wanting to do stuff beyond my means in terms of of my body or my abilities. So I always wanted to go off the high dive. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to hit the home run, and I was I was really scrawny for my age, and so I wasn't excelling in in many of the sports I was I was doing. I was doing okay. Sports and yeah, I played baseball and basketball, and I was average. Um, but I think a lot of that had to do with my size. And then when I when I found skateboarding, I learned to sort of adapt my size into a way of skating that that hadn't really been done yet and and wasn't embraced. So when I was doing it, I, was, I learned to sort of ollie into my aerials out of pools. And at that time, the only way you could get speed in a pool or to do aerials was through your weight and your bulk. And you reach down and grab the board and mm -hmm. like muscle it through. And when I did it, people thought it was more of a circus trick. They just didn't. Mm -hmm. They didn't think it was... They definitely didn't think it was um, progressive. Yeah. 
So you were you were scrawny, but were you short? Because you're tall now. You're tall. For I was. A yeah, right? I, I really didn't uh, get tall until my late teens. So okay. uh, I think there was an advantage there because I had already developed the style, and then once I got tall and I had the strength, I could take that style and actually do things at a much bigger height mm -hmm. with much more confidence. When you when you were growing up and getting into skateboarding, it's a very non-traditional sport. So as you became more and more passionate and starting to spend a lot more time doing it, did you start getting pushback from parents, friends, you know, things like that? Um, my parents were, were very supportive, uh, I think because they, they saw that I finally found something that, that I was passionate about and that I wanted to spend my time doing and I wasn't just home bugging them all day. Right. Uh, and so they, and it wasn't like I was in an age that I was choosing a career. I was 13, 14, I was, you know, it was, it was my hobby and, and they, they saw that what confidence it gave me. Um, my friend's parents definitely discouraged them from skating. They thought it was a bad influence. They thought it was... They just didn't understand it, do you think? Well, it, they didn't understand it, nor did they think it was... At the time, the only way that you were going to succeed in any sports is if you played team sports. Um, so if anyone was getting passionate about skateboarding, parents thought that that was a bad sign because there's no future in it. Right. Um, there was no there was no career to be made. Yeah, I was gonna say, did they have pro skateboarders back then? Like when you uh, were starting, yeah, skating, pro skateboarder meant that um, you got your picture in the magazine and yeah. you got free gear and <laughs> maybe your name on a skateboard. Yeah. Um, but I, I and, and to me that was that was it. That was the top of the mountain. Um, so, but I didn't. That wasn't what I was striving for. I just really loved what it brought to me and, and how I could keep being creative. At what point did you? realized that this was sort of a, a thing you could turn into a career. I mean, because you're, you're cruising along high school and then you have this opportunity to say, hey, do I go to college or do I pursue other things? Like, was there a tipping point or a turning point where you had this light bulb moment that this is what you wanted to do? It was probably when I was graduating high school. Um, everyone's trying to figure out what is going to be the career path, what college they're going to go to. And I was already making a living. And it just sort of fell, it, it didn't fall into my lap, but, but the timing was that. So I realized I already had a career. I was already making more than my teachers. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something that I anticipated. It wasn't, it wasn't like what I was dreaming to do when I was a kid, because that, that dream didn't exist. So it, it just sort of fell into place. And I guess it was, it was, a lot of it was right place, right time, because skating had a big surge of popularity in the late 80s. That's right when I was graduating high school. And so I just rode that wave. Yeah. Um, followed, you know, went on tour for half the year and, and uh, really took advantage of it in, in, in a way that I never imagined I could. So that's pretty similar. Our guys do direct sales, so self-generated leads, and a lot of them we pull after college. So they're on this career path mm -hmm. going to do something that's, you know, traditional in that sense, whether they're going to be bankers or lawyers or whatever. And then they'll come out and start doing direct sales and realize the same thing, like, uh, there was a point where I was studying marketing in school and through direct sales making more than my professors. And it's kind of like the same moment where I was like, it's different, it's unconventional, but if I grasp onto this thing, I can really turn it into a career. Do you think that you had the ability to see that more than other people? Or do you feel like, ah, oh, it's just kind of happening at the right place, right time? Or um, I don't know if I had a, a great perspective on it then. And especially when you're making that kind of money out of high school, it seems it, that you're invincible. It seems like it's never going to end. So I was probably naive to a fault of that.
but for sure in the sense of of creating your own path and creating your own career that definitely was what i was doing and it wasn't anything that anyone had done before so uh i was trying to navigate as best i could and um made some mistakes along the way without question you know in terms of uh, questionable sponsorships yeah. and, and products with my name on it. Just figuring it out. I was going to ask <laughs> yeah. you about that specifically because was skating, so was skating cool when you were growing up or is it still kind of like an outcast type It thing? was, it, well, when I was growing up it was very much an outcast activity. You were like, you were lower than the nerds on the totem pole. Yeah, so cool. people weren't giving you Props at school for being no no. I, I used to have to hide my skateboard at school in high school. Isn't that crazy? Because I would get I would I would get bullied by jocks. This is all like, the way to high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're a professional skateboarder at the age professional of fourteen. Professional skateboarder, yeah. And yes. you're hiding your skateboard. Yes, yes, absolutely. That seems um, so backwards, doesn't it? It was it was a strange paradox because I would go to say I'd fly to Florida for a big big national competition, and people were happy to see me there. I signed autographs and stuff like that, and I would come back to high school as a ghost. Wow. Um, not that I was looking for that sort of validation in high school, but no one was thinking it was cool. Yeah. It was, it was as if you're a pro yo-yo player <laughs> really? in high school. On that level. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you push through that? I mean, were there times where you were bummed out on it? Were there times where you wondered, is this the thing I should be doing? I found my community of skateboarding. I didn't, I wasn't looking for my, for my school peers to be the ones that, that gave me that that validation. So it didn't really matter to me. Um, I could have done without the bullying for yeah. sure, but uh, it w you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't of great concern because I did find my people and I found my, my vibe, my culture that I loved. And, and it was very avant-garde. It was, it was very different. It was punk music. It was, you know, these strange graphics. It was a whole different collection of people um, from all different walk, walks of life. And, and it felt like, it felt like this sort of com collective evolution. Everyone was just throwing stuff out, trying to learn new things. And it wasn't about trying to beat each other. It was just about how can we make skateboarding into something else? When, when you look back at your life, um, you know, as I look back at mine, there was sort of some key pivotal moments that happened in my life, whether it was a family member dying or a breakup or just a tragedy or, you know, something, a, a really, cool moment or something that sort of changed the trajectory mm -hmm. of your life or it was like you're heading down one road a major thing happens and it caused you to redirect mm -hmm. um can you think of a couple of those as you were either you know your teenage 20s 30s you know that kind of led you to where you're at now um, or led you through those especially you know your your career as a professional skateboarder yeah i think it was probably through the lean years so not long after the the hype of the 80s and skateboarding died it was it was in the early 90s very quickly and so it was like a fad or something and then died off yeah the and that's when i suddenly found myself with i was starting a family i had a whole new set of responsibilities i had two mortgages and i never saw it coming and then my my income started shrinking by half every month i mean that's no joke like it was you know royalties were minimal yep. um even the guarantees i had that? what caused that uh firstly it was i think it was skate parks were it, it was impossible to keep a skate park open because of liability because everyone was you know getting hurt yeah litigation and everyone was mm. it was the 80s suing for anything mm -hmm. and then um and so the skate parks were closing so people didn't have places to skate skateboarding was already considered this sort of outcast activity so it had that stigma on it and kids 
you know, they, they, they go through trends and fashions and they fill out a favor. You mentioned earlier, we were talking before we started, um, rollerblading sort of popped on the scene, right? You feel like yeah. that contributed to that decline in skating as well? I don't know if it contributed to the decline in skating. It definitely, um, it, it definitely changed the scope of what people thought was skateboarding or I don't know how to explain it. So basically around the time, the early nineties, skating kind of died because of that. Rollerblading came into fashion, mostly for people just doing this transportation. Mm -hmm. You just saw people everywhere, right? On, on inline skates and whatnot. Um, the silver lining to that for me was that some skate parks, some, some skate shops were able to stay open because they carried inline yep. skates. But for me, I was able to actually sustain my career as a pro skater because I was getting invited to some rollerblade shows as the special guest skateboarder. And the fact that anyone was paying me to even ride my skateboard was, was huge yeah. at that time. And I, like I said, I started a family. I was struggling to pay my bills. And a couple times I would go off to like a week at Six Flags, St. Louis, skate in the parking lot with the rollerbladers. <laughs> make my, yeah, make my mortgage awesome. payment. And yeah, and that was it. And, and so um, it was an interesting dynamic, but it didn't necessarily kill skateboarding or bring it back in any way it was just a strange transitional phase hmm. i think if anything skateboarding at that time went underground and went to the streets because if you wanted to skate that's where you had to do it right. do you feel like that was good for the sport at that time to kind of like in its maturity like figure out who they were and get like yeah a it core completely following? changed it, it, it made it accessible to anyone it made the urban landscape a skate park in itself because the way people were using it going down handrails ledges all that stuff you see that is street skating. I mean, that's what's going to be in the Olympics. The street discipline, that all came from people just wanting to go skate and having nowhere to do it. Which is kind of abnormal for the Olympics, right? Because usually the Olympics will take something that's maybe not like the, like snowboarding. Most people don't ride a half pipe when they snowboard. Most people hit jumps or like sure. do like slope style stuff. It's interesting that it's not, that, that, that's the, that street skating is what's going to be in the Olympics, um, right? It is, but when you're close to the core of it, it's understandable because that is more accessible to everyone in every country. Uh, the park event, there are skate parks all over the world. Halfpipe is, is very, it's not exclusive, but it's, it's, it's just not as available. Right. I can't think of a vert ramp in Ethiopia or even in South Africa. And, and those are the places where we're going to have skate teams coming from. So I, t I do understand why they chose those disciplines. But at the same time, I think halfpipe would be more exciting to the home crowd or more easier to comprehend. Because mm -hmm. the nuances of, of kickflips and going switch and stuff like that on the street is going to be really hard for the home audience to interpret. To interpret. Um, so what do you think brought skateboarding back? Because to see, like, you know, to hear you had to hide your skateboard when you came back from a contest that you won, right, yeah. to, to being, you know, having to do these other things to pay your mortgage, you know, I, I remember I remember the first X Games. I remember you competing in that mm -hmm. first X Games. Do you think it was that like that? I think that helped. Yeah, I think that I think that that also was a way to, for, to show people what what evolution skateboarding had gone through through those sort of lean years. So I think that people, especially kids at home, were watching and going, "Oh, they can go downstairs and rails now." And and I and also the I, I think that the the attitude of the skaters, especially through the X Games, was was contagious. Like the kids liked seeing that they were real people that were 
risking it all just because they wanted to have fun. And it, they, you know, pro athletes at the time were sort of out of reach and out of touch. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think that they were, they were jaded. And, and kids were like, I don't, even, I, I don't even understand these guys who don't sign autographs or don't, you know, don't acknowledge their fans and stuff like that. And these guys are literally risking their lives for a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. That's a totally different idea because I never thought about that. When you watch a basketball game, you feel like that person, I don't understand that world. I, that's something I could never be. But when you're watching the X Games, if you're from Southern California, you could know people on the TV, right? You might see that sure, guy. Sure, they just, I think they just identify with them more. And also the outcast element. And, and it felt like there was just this, this sort of interest. It was the MTV generation at that time. And they liked constant action. And, and I think skateboarding provided daredevil aspects. It provided... Um, it obviously provided instant action and it provided a community immediately and the price of entry was just a skateboard. Go do it anywhere with your friends. Was there ever a time where you felt like we've got a ton of momentum going with our sport right now and then a massive roadblock came your way and maybe you weren't even sure kind of what to do next and how did you handle that adversity when, when kind of those big roadblocks came your way and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish? Uh, well, for sure it was when I was struggling through the early 90s and, you know, barely making ends meet. And, and at the time, the, I guess the, the, the default action would be to give up, mm -hmm. go find something I mean, else to do. Yeah, was there like a time where and, you're like, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Um, and, and what I chose to do was start a skateboard company because I... I wanted to be, I wanted to stay in skateboarding. I wanted to create my own brand, create my own team and create my own direction. And even though it seems risky at the time, I felt like we were in the lowest point of skating's lifespan at that moment. And if we established ourselves as a good brand, if skateboarding comes back, which we're absolutely we're banking on, we will have established ourselves as one of the best, as one of the leading brands when it comes back around and and the cost of of starting a company the cost of of making a, a name for yourself the cost of getting advertising was the cheapest it could ever be hmm. so i pooled my funds with another pro skater and we we went for it was there ever a time where you needed someone else's help and they were like resistant to help you or like you felt you had to sell yourself or sell what you were doing or your dream or or you know what you're trying to accomplish, and you were getting those. Uh, when we first set out to do a video game, yeah, there was a lot of that. Really? I, I was I was working with a PC developer, a PC programmer actually, who had a very crude uh, game engine for doing skating, and and he showed me, and we went to pitch it to all these different publishers, and they were all very resistant. When he like, showed it to you, could you once... see the vision of it? Like, What's that? When he showed it to you, could you see the vision of it? Like, could you be like, oh man, this could be something? I thought like... it was cool, but he was very, it was very early. It was very crude. Um, but at the same time, it, no one had done it. And so we went and pitched Nintendo and Midway and you know Gottlieb, all these other different brands. And, and um, for the most part, they were they were just confused as to why anyone would want to make a skateboard game. Skateboarding was not popular. Why would people want to play video, video games were hardly popular in terms of home consoles. Um, and they said, why would anyone buy this? And he gave up. The developer he, or the, the Yeah, the programmer, he gave up. And then, uh, but, but that planted a seed in the video game industry that I was looking to do a game. And then a couple of different companies about a year or two later 
approached me and said, we want to make a game. Um, and then when Activision wow. called me, they said, we are making a game. And would you like to come see it? And so I went up to Activision and they had a very early engine as well. But theirs was intuitive. It made sense. Um, uh, the, the actual character that I was playing when I first got there was Bruce Willis with a gun strapped to his back because <laughs> this is at Activision <laughs> at Activision yeah because they just created a game called Apocalypse and it, it it was a flop but the engine for Apocalypse was perfect for skateboarding oh really so they took Bruce Willis who was the star of Apocalypse put him on a skateboard and then put some tricks you know in the in the That's controls so and so nice. I'm skating through a desert with with uh, Bruce Willis doing ollies and kickflips and it, but but it was it was definitely I had the epiphany where I said this is it. how it should the control should work, and I signed up that day. Did they That's did so the crazy. game? Do you feel like the game propelled the sport as well? Like it because I think game, it, it definitely. I think that between the game and X Games, that was the tipping point for setting a foundation of skate fans and for setting up skateboarding to have much more longevity and and be something that was here to stay. Well, you cast a much bigger net, right? Because there's plenty of kids playing your game that have never even been on a skateboard. And all of a sudden, they start thinking, maybe I should try skateboarding. Right? Yeah, or, or it just gets them interested in the culture and, the, and the, the activity itself. Even if they don't want to do it, they watch it on TV and they understand the tricks and yep. the nuances and the, and the skaters themselves. And, and like I said, that created a fan base. Before that, the only people who loved skateboarding were skaters themselves. And then when our game came out and, and the next game and stuff like that, then it became like, hey, there's people that like to watch it like sports fans. Yeah. Hmm. I remember like when they were setting up, like when the game became like massively popular, there was all these contests like play Tony Hawk and Tony Hawk Pro Skater where you're probably just getting smoked by like nine-year-old kids at your game, right? Sometimes, but I, I can hold my own. Right. In fact, we just did a, 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 a there's a, um, there's a brewery that I am an investor in here, and we did a game night there a few weeks ago where people challenged me to old school THPS. Like Tony Hawk 1? Uh, 3. Oh, okay. And um, I think I won 40 games and lost 3. Oh, dang. No way. So well, you've had time own. now, right? You gotta, but you the gotta ones that I lost, I lost miserably. Really? Yeah, those guys <laughs> came they to play. It. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they came it. to They were not joking around. All right, so Tony, talk a little bit about community so one of the things is I hear you talk about the game and how that came to be like I remember sitting in basements with my friends playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and um, you know we talked earlier Rodney Mullins a friend of yours who um, has done TED talks and talked about what he's gained from the community mm -hmm. I'm interested in you know as you look back on your your community of friends and the community that you've built um, what have you gained from community and what 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 areas does that impact your life um well, it's interesting because skateboarding is such an individual pursuit, but there is definitely a community around it. And, and I've always loved that idea that you can do something in your own voice, your own style, your own, and, and create your own vision while still being part of that community. Um, and definitely the community has helped to inspire me in terms of wanting to become a better skater, wanting to learn about different cultures, about different uh, ideas and... and um, it's hugely important, even though in a lot of ways skating is an isolated activity. Have you, uh, are there individuals in particular, like in your community, friends or other skaters, or maybe even people you've been introduced to through skateboarding that have had a profound impact on you? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, like I said, there's, there's so many different types of people that are drawn to skateboarding, but ultimately very creative individuals. And, and that's where, uh, just in terms of, of the people that I met, that's what influenced what kind of music I love, what kind of clothes, fashion, art that I'm into. And, and it's all very uh, different, I think. You know, it's definitely not mainstream. Um, but in terms of true inspiration, I think that uh, I, Rodney Mullen and I have always been very close in terms of how we communicate, how we bounce ideas off each other, how we influence each other's skating, and, and at a time when we didn't have many peers, and we were both at the top of our of competition, and you know the old dumb saying like it's lonely at the top. In a way, it is. But if you want to continue progressing, you've got to look for inspiration elsewhere. I wanted to ask real quick. So our, our industry is a really competitive industry and it's um, a very individual sport. I mean, we have leaderboards, rankings, top sales guys, right? And uh, my question to you is, you know, when you're already at the top, how are you able to continue to, I guess, one, stay motivated to continue sort of pushing and like have this chip on your shoulder to continue being the best and was there was there ever a time where you're like you're at a skate park you're at an event and all of a sudden someone who maybe you weren't familiar with came on the scene and you saw them and you were like whoa like this is my next competition and then how did you like elevate to continue to stay on the top well i think firstly no matter where I was ranked or how I did in the last event, I, I had to keep challenging myself. That is what drove me to skating. That's the buzz I'm always looking for is landing new tricks. And that's the bottom line. Like, like that's the baseline of my success is, is trying new huh? stuff. And so even if I was ranked number one, I had to keep learning new stuff. And that is how I stayed, how I stayed motivated and how I stayed on top in a lot of ways. But in terms of seeing other people, yeah, there's part of you that, that feels not a bit threatened by new competitors, especially if your life is competition. But at the same time, you can take inspiration from that and, and better yourself, better your, your activity, better your skating. Because it's like you, you see someone do a trick in a totally different way and think, maybe I could do that technique. Or maybe I could tweak it a little bit differently and make it my own. Um, and like I said, there is that collective evolution. Sometimes it's unspoken. Sometimes it's, it's more secretive. But I think that... Uh, the competition can help inspire you. That's, that's my best answer. Talk for a second about building teams. I listened to a podcast you did the other day um, that talked about Stacy Peralta. And the guy that was interviewing you had asked about his influence. And you, what you had said I thought was interesting is that, you know, we know Stacy Peralta for being like a foundation in the skateboarding world, but you actually hit on his ability to build teams. He built the original Bones Brigade, mm -hmm. right, that everybody knows about. Yep. And there have been a million skateboarding teams since then, but everybody knows about that one. So um, what, what, are, what are some of the strengths? A lot of what we do is build teams, and teams work or don't based on the characters and the cohesion. So what did you learn from Stacy, and have you, have you built any teams like that? Well, I learned from Stacy that it wasn't just about your performance. It was about your ability to work together and your ability to... to perform in any situation. And there's a lot of that in terms of, people can be really good at skateboarding, but they're only good at a specific style of skateboarding, and they only want to do it on their own terms, in their own places. And when you're, when you're being considered to be a professional skateboarder, you gotta rise to the occasion. You gotta go skate stuff that is not perfect. You know, and, and in situations that are not ideal in terms of how you feel, where you are, 
and the crowds, but you got to rise to the occasion. I think he recognized in us a passion that we were going to perform no matter what um, because we loved what we were doing. We wanted to represent ourselves and skateboarding as best we could. So he had the ability to see that beyond just skill levels. And I think that that's what my motivation was in creating my own team, was, was getting a lot of diversity, but also people that could represent skateboarding in, as a whole and be someone that you're proud of saying, oh yeah, that guy, you know, he's not the best at whatever style of skating this is, but he pushes the limits and he's someone that I want to watch ride. So how much of that is, I mean, how many people do you say no to, whether in person or mentally? Would you say you started to build teams saying, I want this specific characteristic and then you go through and craft the team? It's not as much, hey, this guy's ripping right now, I want him on the team? It's a little of both. I wouldn't say it's so formulated that I'm, I have this vision that like, I want a guy that goes big and I want a jokester and I want, it's not like that. It's just, and what, I needed a team that would, that would, that had synergy, you know, that, that liked to hang out with each other. That's another thing. Like I, I have a, definitely had skaters approach me about riding for Birdhouse and, and I know they just won't jive with the team. Interesting. Um, and they might be amazing skateboarders, but these guys need camaraderie. And, and, if, and it shows, you know, it, all that stuff shines through. It's really interesting in what we do. Um, we have certain people all the time that come that are very, very talented. And as a leader, it's very tempting to say, I know you can come on the team and I know you can produce. But what you said was, I know they won't jive. You're just not making that mistake of being like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice the culture for the production. Right? Yeah, and I'm not looking to support a lone soldier either because it's, we want it to be a team. That's, we don't compete as a team, but we, we produce as a team. That's interesting you would say that in a mostly individual sport, right? They have such a team aspect. Yeah, yeah, but we're on tour together. We, you know, we, we know each other. Like, I, I truly believe my birdhouse team is my second family. How many times do you have to have, like, tough conversations with guys on your team? Like, hey, the way you're acting is rubbing people the wrong way. Or, hey, your effort during competitions is you know, not what we're looking for. Right? Uh, yeah, a few times through the years, absolutely. Uh, and, and sometimes you just gotta cut them. Right. Um, and, and that's unfortunate, but, but if they are not willing to ha be accountable or to take responsibility or to put forth the effort to truly represent themselves and you as a company, um, I, I can't afford to just let them have a free ride. I wanted to get back, and I'm gonna let you um, kind of ask about the 900, but the the one part that I'm interested in is the the mental like psychological warfare that might be happening in your head like as you're thinking about attempting a trick that you mm -hmm. you know you could get hurt if you don't land it or like there's a huge element of like health risk you know like what are the or even before like a gold medal half pipe run like what's the mental self talk you have as you're up there on the ramp or right before you start? Like, are there things you're saying to yourself uh, before you start? I think that the, the key to, especially learning new tricks, is, is approaching it with confidence. That's, that's my only secret, is that I, when I try something, I've already convinced myself that it's possible and that I can do it. And I will persevere through injuries and um, disappointment to almost to, to a fault, because I will try a trick for for years until I finally make it. And sometimes it's just that one time and that's worth it to me. And so I think that's a lot of times that's the sort of uh, 
that's the line of demarcation for, for people who want to be serious about skateboarding. Are they willing to persevere and be determined enough to, to go through hundreds of attempts to make it that one time? Um, and I always was, and I still am, even at my age. Um, but I think that what I, when I do it, I've already told myself, I can do this, it's possible. And sometimes it's just some slight change or nuance that makes it work. I think that might be the difference between why you... Because there's, there's other skaters probably of equal talent that have come along in this world that haven't had the legacy that you've had or that maybe wouldn't have persevered through the time in the 90s and through the time when people are wondering about the business decisions and things like that. Um, but the thing that's interesting to me, you did it again recently, like two years ago, right? Didn't you do the 900 again oh, yeah, just yeah, recently? Yeah, yeah. So what drives you to do that again? It sounds like you're, you're motivated by what's possible and, and what you know you can do, but why yeah. do it again? Uh, why do it again? That's a good question. Well, I feel like you <laughs> it was more, still do it. I think so, yeah. If, if I really uh, was focused on spinning, it's, it's just it's, it's a certain technique and, and you've got to be very comfortable with, with spinning around and sort of, you know, uh, landing blind to the wall and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And uh, at the time, a couple years ago, I was doing a lot of exhibitions back to back. I was feeling like my old self in terms of my abilities and I was spinning a lot. And I thought, you know what, I bet I could probably do a 900 again, just because I've, I've been skating and spinning so much recently. And like I said, that's just one faction of, of the type of skating I do. But because I was focusing on it so much, I thought that might be interesting to, to do it again. I hadn't done it in maybe six years at that point. And you were uh, 48 when you did it, right? Yeah. And so I just said, you know what, I'll, I'll and, and I looked on the calendar and realized that the, the anniversary of, of the X Games and that yeah. trick was coming up. And I said, well, okay, let's just shoot for that date. And so I had uh, a couple guys from my production company follow me with the camera that day and said, I think I can do it this day. Let's do it. That and, is so uh, cool. It took longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, and it was more painful than I remembered. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, took, it took about twice as long as I had anticipated. Well, the first time you did it, it was 11 attempts, right? Yeah, I mean, 11 attempts at that event. But that was 10 years of attempts Okay. led up to that moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and figuring out uh, how to shift my body weight and how to spot landing. Stuff like, like all that led into that night. Um, but for sure, it was, it was one of the biggest ones in my career. And I was already considering dropping out of competition that year. And it was like, that solidified it for me. That yeah. was, it was like, that was a good out. Yeah, I've done it, right? Yeah. Switch directions for a second. The first time that I met you, at least, was to talk about solar for your home. Yep. So is that an idea you've always had? Uh, what's your take on renewable energy? Um, it's not an idea I always had. We, we actually had solar panels here when we moved in to heat the pool, and they were not of the quality that you guys have. And uh, the, the line kept breaking, and our pool kept leaking down the hillside. So <laughs> That's not supposed to I had a, kind of a bad experience with solar initially. Yeah. But then when I saw what you guys were doing and how much money it would save, it, it was obvious that, that we wanted to do it. And, and um, I was already, I have, I have a Tesla. I was already into renewable energy. Uh, and our, our energy bills were crazy here. They, were they really were like out of control. I actually remember the conversation and what you were spending on energy. It was funny to think, um, you know, you've been fortunate and have an awesome life, but for some people, they can't afford that kind of energy. That no, was I was getting to the point where it was it was becoming a problem, yeah. uh, and we were going to have to cut back on 
you know, some extravagances we have. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's just sure. all necessities, but for sure there were things that I would rather, like I'd rather have the pool more warm through the year for the kids and, and that kind of thing was like, maybe we can't do that anymore. And then um, once you guys install the panels, that all changed. And now it's totally affordable. We're putting energy back into the grid and, um, and I still love my Tesla. That's great. <laughs> well, the, the, the sales platform that we run is called The League. So it's a way for, for reps to see how they're ranked and to move up, and they get bonuses and accolades and stuff based on The League. So um, to close out, what advice would you give people that are doing an individual sport uh, in direct selling, competing as a team to persevere? What life lessons or tips can you give them uh, to have ultimate success? Uh, I think my, my best advice is to, is to love what you do. If you really have a passion for what you're doing, it's going to shine through and you're going to love going to work every day. I think like my definition, my definition of success is, is doing what you love. And maybe it's, it's not the best financial decision you've made, but if you like going to work, that's success. I love what I do. I love my job. Um, and I'm sure that what you guys are doing, you, you finally figured out how it works, how to make it work, and if you really jump in and have that passion for it, it's going to be the best decision you've made. Well, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for sharing the life lessons and wisdom yeah. and continue forward getting cheap energy bills, huh? I am. Sure. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric. Electric People is produced by League TV at Vivint Solar. Be good, do good.